Hello, boys and ghouls, maniacs, the macabre, freaks of the fright. It's your hearty host of Humble, the horror heathen for my YouTube channel and the podcast South Jersey Horror. Today, I have a very special and honored guest. Y'all know him as John Shepard, the infamous Tommy Jarvis from Friday 13th Part 5. And from what I gather, you were born in Glen Ellen, Illinois. And no, you had no, no, okay. I guess I got that wrong. <laughs> That's wrong. You know, this you can't believe anything on the internet. I mean, <laughs> I was born in Manhattan, New York, but uh, somebody okay. put down that I, you know, I did grow up in Glen Ellen, but go on, let's let's see what else they said about me that were <laughs> full of lies. You have distinguished yourself in horror cinema for the role of the how, how I like how they put this in quotes, mentally disturbed survivor Tommy Jarvis. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I, he thought the rest of the world was mentally disturbed, but okay. But not straying too far from your Friday roots, you have also played a police constable in the Baron's Bride episode of Friday Thirteenth, the series. No, um, that's not right either. God, they screwed that. <laughs> they really screwed this up. Oh my goodness! Uh, never did that, but um, but there is a, probably some other John Shepard that has, and then somebody linked me somehow. <laughs> I only did the movies back then. I was a big time star, you know, no, no small screen for me back in the day. <laughs> well, this part's right. You are the second of three actors to play the role of Tommy Jarvis in a Friday 13th film series. Yes. The first was Corey Feldman who played in part four. And then you and beginning and then Tom Matthews who did from Jason lives, but you turned down the reprise role of Tommy Jarvis for part six, and I'm sure you had your reasons why. Mm. So, um, if you don't want to get into it, that's fine. I totally understand. No, um, we can talk about anything. And now, um, you are the founder and president of Empower Pictures, correct? An independent production company, um, has produced several award winning feature films and theatrical, dis theatrical distribution, including Bella. The Stoning yeah. and Soraya. Uh, I'm sorry, Soraya. Yeah, the Stoning of Soraya M. Uh huh. Okay. And you won an award. Um, I hope this is right because I I like <laughs> I like I like highlighting um, actors' careers if they, if they won awards for right. Um, the Golden Halo Award for the movie Broken Victory. Yes, I did win that. That's true. Okay, so that part's true. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the awesome. The kick-ass Tommy Jarvis, John Shepard. How you doing? I'm doing great, Benjamin. Thank you for so much for hosting and uh, having the program and inviting me on. This is awesome. You, your character. I, I think you played the best Tommy Jarvis, no doubt, hands down. Wow, that that's, you know, I don't know if Corey Feldman would have an issue with that, but thank you. I, uh, I had uh, some good groundwork laid by him, and I had actually not seen the film until I got the role. I mean, I knew what Friday the Thirteenth was. Uh, but what I had to go and watch, uh, and back in the day, we didn't have, oh, I'll go down to Blockbuster and get a copy. It was only on a film print. So I went over to Paramount, and I sat in the dark in the third row in character as Tommy and watched Corey Feldman. And yeah, that movie scared the crap out of me <laughs> because <laughs> I was sitting by myself in this cavernous theater at Paramount in the dark with you know that fantastic score. And it's one thing to watch it with all your friends and enjoy and, you know, it's a party and it's funny and you're participating, you know, you know, it's participatory, but uh, watching it by yourself in character as a mentally disturbed 
you know, Tommy Jarvis. It was, I by the end of the movie, I got up and sat in the back row in the light because uh, it was freaky. Wow. Like I said, yours was the best. You, you played the best one because you have um, uh, the fight scenes. I, uh, did you have to rehearse for those? Or are you like an actual martial artist? Well, uh, I had studied a little bit of martial arts uh, growing up, you know, but way back when I was a kid, judo, and then I got into karate and, you know, sort of uh, wanted to fancy myself as, oh, I'm I'm uh, Billy Zabka from, you know, um, a Karate Kid, but I was not. Uh, we had a really good uh, fight coordinator on Friday. Uh, Dick Warlock was our stunt coordinator, and um, he had a stunt double for me named Eddie Matthews. I've stayed in close friendship and touch with Eddie for all these years, steady Eddie. And um, that was a lot of fun because, you know, uh, Tommy could kick butt, man. And uh, they gave me some guys that I could throw up in the air and they did handstands on my shoulder to make it look like I was throwing them <laughs> down with all my might on the table. It was a breakaway, but yeah, it was, um, it was a great experience. And yeah, we did a lot of choreography and rehearsal and they had a stunt double. And so it's, you know, they don't mess around with the fight sequences and the violence and they want to get all that right. So we tried to do a good job. You mentioned Dick Warlock. Is that the same Dick Warlock from Halloween too? Yeah, Dick is, he's, you know, he's a fascinating, he has quite a history and legacy of um, working on uh, these, he called them, you know, dark sets and he was always trying to bring light. In fact, it's kind of an interesting story. Uh, some of you have heard it probably, but you know, my um, because my character is so different than my personality, I was often cast in the, if you remember the John Ritter, uh, Three's Company, I was always cast in the boy next door, John Ritter roles and a nice Midwestern kid, which is where I'm from. So for me to get the role of a guy coming out of an insane asylum who is mentally touched and uh, doesn't talk the whole movie, but he's the lead, that was a real, you know, I thought when I got that part, I was Boo Radley in To Kill a Mockingbird. I had no idea what the film was. They give you a script called Repetition. They don't tell you it's a Friday the 13th. And you go in and you get called back and called back. And, call, and about the fifth callback, they say, by the way, this is a Friday the 13th. Do you have any issues with that? I'm like, oh, I thought I was doing, you know, great art like this character. I didn't realize it was what I thought wrongly at the time a slasher picture. It's just another slasher picture, but it was such a good role and so well written that I committed to it, but I decided if I'm going to do it, I really had to commit. So um, I went out to the Camarillo State Mental Hospital at the time. It doesn't exist anymore, but I volunteered there for a month, just looking and watching kids and working with kids and understanding what it was to be basically in under psychiatric care. And, um, you know, buddies of mine in the film industry said, John, if you're going to do this, people aren't going to take you seriously because you're too friendly. You're too, you got to be, you got to become Tommy. So I resolved not to speak the entire uh, movie that I would go on set and just give one or two answer grunts, kind of, kind of like Tommy does in the film. And it really actually worked for both me and for my co-performers because they kind of thought I was a little okay, this guy's a method actor. Who does he think he is? You know, he's keeps to himself. He's, and, and I really committed Benjamin. I mean, I went, even for the auditions, I would go early and run in the stairwell um, up and down the fire escape to get a sweat going and my heart going. And then when I'd go into the room, I'd just sit and stare at the casting director or scare, stare at Danny Steinman and just start <laughs> sweating. And I mean, <laughs> and I do push-ups and I'd, I'd be working out like a banshee. Um, and the only guy on the set that would not 
give me my space was Dick Warlock. He was so friendly. He was so outgoing. He was like asking me questions and I'd try and not look him in the eye and not say anything, but he was just overly, you know, so where are you from? What do you, you know? And I finally um, made a mistake of opening my mouth. And maybe I'll save that for later in the interview, but it, it, it was a, it was Dick really that broke the ice and, and outed me to the rest of the, the crew and cast. Um, but yeah, he, um, he was somebody that said, look, I do these horror films all the time because I want to be a little light of a ray of sunshine on a really dark. I mean, here we are in the rain in a barn in Camarillo or Calabasas or wherever the heck we were uh, for six <laughs> weeks shooting in the rain. You know, he said, I I'm here to just be a servant and a witness and, and uh, encourage people and support you to be the best Tommy you can be. And just a great guy. So, you know, uh, he was he. And Eddie, we like I said, Steady Eddie and I have stayed friends all these years because he was such a great stunt double for me and, uh, you know, a sparring partner for the fight scenes. That's that's awesome. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, I remember first of, all, first of all, I watched the movie and I saw you, um, you know, kick Eddie's ass in the trailer park. And I was like, <laughs> that's, that's one dude you do not want to fuck with. <laughs> so that was a lot of fun because those characters were so over the top and hilarious. I had no idea there would be comedy, you know, uh, but they supplied, Ma supplied the comic relief. And there was so many, uh, at the time, again, I was so focused on me, my character, the movies. And, and they would encourage, you know, Danny Steinman would say to me, John, this is your movie own it and i'd be like okay well that's a heavy responsibility you know but he really gave me and empowered me to be like even though you don't say much you know you're you're carrying this and now i look back and realize well he probably said that to melanie he probably said that to shivar he probably said that but it was such a feeling of um hey do what you want to do this is your film you know go go for it and so no I did. pressure, no pressure. Now that's true, but it was also a great sort of honor because he was an accomplished director. He'd done some great, you know, streets of fire kind of cool, edgy indie stuff. And here he was doing a Friday the 13th and he took it very seriously. He wanted it to be great. And it is different than the other franchise pictures. And for that, it gets both criticism and praise, but I appreciate your compliments regarding the, the work. Cause I do feel like it's some of my best work as an actor, especially if you know, my personality is so different from, Tommy Jarvis's. So um, mentioning Melanie, Shavar, and, and Miguel, what was it like working alongside those three, knowing they had other roles in other movies? Um, you know, again, I didn't really get to know anybody because I was trying to keep to myself. And now I, I know each of them. Um, Melanie was, I think, really by the producers considered the star. And they took first class care of her. And I remember being out in the rain in a barn, like I said, in the hay at night, it was freezing. And she had on a full length parka, you know, that they had got her. And I was sitting there trying to stay in character wet and in my sweaty flannel shirt in the rain. <laughs> and I was thinking, well, she's got a better trailer than me. She has a nicer coat than me. But, you know, you have to stop that inner monologue of insecurity and go, well, she's, she's the woman that works at the asylum of course she's got it better than me i'm you know so shavar was a he was a little kid at the time now he's a producer himself and a, and a great guy and accomplished and um but he was just you know reggie the reckless and that was kind of fun to um just 
wow, we're on this R-rated set. And this kid is like, he's around machetes and there's nudity over here and there's language there. And he's just like committed and he's Reggie the Red. He became that character. He did a great job. That was fun. And then Miguel, I mean, he's just dang funny. He's so talented. He's um, He has a great role, obviously. I love the scene where he's in the outhouse and it's just, he just made something. He made a meal out of nothing, you know, he just brought it. And um, it's fun to, I've been to a, a few conventions with him, just a great guy. So they're all really, you know, again, we all have this pre preconception of what actors or what characters are like in real life. And then you find out, wow, this is, this guy could do anything. So multi-talented, he's a producer, he's a writer, he's a director, he's an actor, he can play horror. He's also done, you know, some very serious, nice, you know, award-winning performances and we never felt we were going to like win any awards for a new beginning but we still i think everybody committed to do the best work they could everybody took it seriously and fortunately because of the method approach i took uh people seem to react to me in character seriously rather than dismissing or not being intimidated by me because uh, it's just john it was kind of like this guy's a little off, <laughs> which worked for Tommy and worked for the role, worked for the movie. I'm hoping one of these days I get, I get to meet Miguel. I'm, I'm gonna bring him an enchilada wrapper to sign. <laughs> <laughs> I hope to see him again. I'm supposed to do some event down in Atlanta, uh, 27th, 8th, and 9th of this month. Um, and and they said it's a reunion of sorts. Uh, so we'll see who shows up. I think Melanie's gonna be there. I know Shavar is supposed to be there. Sorry about the dogs in the background. If you hear them, oh, I'm on a barking too. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, right. they're talking to each other. I don't know. Um, you do you have any favorite scenes in the movie that you did? Any? You know, one of my favorite moments at the time I was studying acting uh, at the Lee Strasberg Institute in Los Angeles, and the, the big takeaway you get is less is more. And I, I was always brought up I was an actor since I was nine doing theater so I was always going big and very comedy and and here I had to be very subtle and understated and one of my favorite moments was um I have making Tommy was into masks and there's just one little moment where I forget what somebody said to me but all I did was raise one corner of my mouth just like a slight smirk after scaring somebody and it always got a big laugh in the theaters and I just thought wow the power of film and less being more, just a subtle little look or slight upturn of one corner of your mouth and people get it. They know what's going on behind your head. Whereas I'd always thought, I got to make sure the audience, you know, sees what I'm doing. It's like, no, no, Tommy is somebody it's, you don't see what he's doing. You don't, you, you're looking into his eyes. And I think that's what makes good actors, you know, Jim Caviezel, uh, who was Christ in the Passion of the Christ, and he was in high frequency and he was in the thin red line he's dyslexic it makes him really interesting to watch on screen because he's thinking of the lines but as an audience member you just see there's something going on behind his his what is it what does he think you know it creates a mystique and so i that's one of my favorite scenes in friday was that that subtlety but of course yeah i did enjoy flipping uh, my co-actor up in the air and breaking that table and <laughs> punching a sandbag until my knuckles were red and raw because Danny kept doing it again and again and yeah it was uh, letting out a lot of anger I think there's a meme online uh, called rage or something of me doing that so I send that to my kids every once in a while when they get out of hand 
You see this guy? Yeah, that was me back in the day. I was ripped. Yeah, not anymore, Dad. <laughs> that was that was thirty years ago. What? No, no, that was just yesterday. Uh, oh. uh, but I know exactly what you're talking about. The moment when you scared um Reggie the Reckless with your mask, when you yeah. Up, you you kind of get that you get that look. <laughs> yeah. Like, Yep, that's the look. <laughs> that's my favorite. That was fun. And of course, I didn't realize at the time, but that's the mastery of editing and directing. And, you know, T. White's why film is so collaborative. It's like, I didn't know I did, I even did that or that they captured it or that they would cut it that way. But and certainly the timing and the look and Shavar worked. Yeah. So. So at the end of the movie, I want to know what happens to Tommy Jervis. I mean, it, it, it's because anybody know because he next all we see is him wearing a mask holding a knife and it just cuts right there and that was can... so interesting yeah that you you'd ask that so when i got the script danny um hadn't figured out how they were going to end it because they wanted to continue the franchise but there was no ending yet so um I was working uh, with a fraternity brother who's gone on to become quite a successful director of shows like Glee, and he's a writer for Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, and he's been in a bunch of Christopher Guest movies. His name is Michael Hitchcock, which in, with a name like Hitchcock, you know, he's going to be good with horror and thrillers. So he was the guy that told me, John, if you're going to do this role, you got to take it seriously. And I said, you know, I've, I've read the script at the end. They don't know how it ends. He goes, well, we should figure that out. We should write it. I'm like, can we do that? He goes, yeah, just let's go to them. You bring them some ideas. You're the star. So we typed up an ending for the movie. And I remember because this was in the day that computer paper was on a daisy wheel. It was like onion paper. It rolled up, you know, and you try and smooth it out. But it, maybe you're too young to remember that. But it wasn't these. So I wrote like three or four pages at the end of the movie. And my idea with Mike Hitchcock was that. I'm in the hospital and Pam comes and she knocks and then she hears a crash of glass and um, she comes in thinking I've broken out the window and then I'm hiding behind the door. That was our idea. Now I wrote three pages of dialogue for myself. <laughs> you know, don't come in here. Don't come in you know, all this stuff. And so Danny looks at it on the onion paper. goes like, what, what the, Johnny, you don't talk the whole movie. Now you've got three pages of dialogue. <laughs> and now you want dialogue. <laughs> he basically took a pen and went, shh, 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 shh. he goes, it's a good idea. We'll, we'll work on it. And that's what they typed up and wrote was what I didn't do was put on the mask. And they said, no, we got to have Tommy become Jason. And that was the part I really struggled with because you know, at the time, I had really wrestled with whether to do a Friday the 13th. And I'll tell you why. Not because I'm not a, a fan of horror or I don't respect the genre, but I was so um, self-consumed. Can you imagine that? An actor who's like narcissistic? I mean, unheard of, right? So I was so... Wait, 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 about... Judges? Judges? No, no. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, I When I came to Los Angeles... I had gotten a pilot for a TV series back in Chicago. They they screen tested kids from Chicago. They flew me out for a, 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 an interview at 20th Century Fox. And I'm a first class seat on an airplane. I've never been in first class. I sit next to Miss California. I'm 17 years old. I'm like, oh my gosh. And uh, the guy that the pilot <laughs> I was interviewing for was, um, he directed the pilot to All in the Family. He directed the pilot to the Brady Bunch. And he was one of the writers and producers, I think, on uh, the Dick Van Dyke show. So, you know, I was going to be a star. 
And so I told all my friends, they said, no, don't get a big head when you go to LA. Right. And I'm like, dudes, I'm going to be, I've always told you, I'm going to be on TV and I'm not going to, I'm not going to ever do like horror films or, or lame, cheesy religious films, or, you know, I'm, I'm like Academy. I'm like, and there wasn't a Tom Cruise at the time, but I'm going to be the guy. And then uh, of course the first film I get repetition, I'm all excited. And then they tell you it's Friday the 13th. And I'm like, Oh crap. I, I told all my friends I'd never do a slasher picture. And so it was really kind of a, um, a humbling thing because I realized it's a really great role and I can be a good guy. I'm the good guy. I killed Jason. And, you know, you, I think you can be a bad guy, a villain in a good movie. I think you can be the good guy in an, in an evil, dark movie. Um, but the question was, did was I corrupting our youth, today's youth, by doing this film? And you think, well, what's the big deal, John? You're an actor. You know, you're playing a part, right? But here's the twist. I had become a Christian. Oh, my gosh in my journey in Los Angeles, you get out there and you kind of like, should I go to the left and be a wild partier and get into the drugs and the alcohol and the rock and roll? That's why I'm going to be an actor, right? Or go to the right and give up the business and not do anything because it's dark and can anything good out come out of Hollywood? And if what happens, Benjamin, as you probably know, being an artist yourself, no doubt, you stand in the middle of the road, you get run over. So you got to pick a side. Now I had decided, I tried the party scene the sex, drugs, rock and roll. That wasn't working for me. It wasn't furthering my career. In fact, it was hurting my career. So I went the other way and I was working with some kids in the junior high group at a Presbyterian church in Bel Air. <laughs> so when I got this role for the kids, 10 to 13 years old, it was the most amazing, greatest thing in the world that their youth group leader is starring in a horror film. <laughs> It was not the greatest thing in the world for their parents. Uh, John, I got a letter, saw you in the paper Saturday night with a machete, <laughs> teaching our kids on Sunday mornings. How do you reconcile those two? And it really caused me to do some soul searching. And well, the one thing I could justify was, well, I, it's not like I'm the bad guy or I'm actually killing anybody. I'm a messed up, mentally disturbed kid. He's coming out of an insane asylum. He's got issues. And I'm the good guy. Jason dies. But I didn't want to become, quote unquote, possessed at the end of the movie. And when I got those from pages, those pages from Danny, where I put on the mask, it's like, am I becoming Jason? Yeah. Yeah. You're like becoming possessed. And I was like, oh, no. oh my goodness. How am I? The Sunday school parents are not going to like this. But, you know, I decided... I've committed. I'm going to do the best I can. So I took it. I did it. I did the, the best I could. And I did leave the uh, the youth group to the, I think, disappointment of all the kids. But I also felt like, um, to me, it was a good learning experience that, you know, whatever your gifts are, whatever your talents are, whatever your passions are, um, you can use them for good or for evil. If I give you a beautiful leather briefcase to conduct your podcast and keep your notes and stuff, and then I come over to your house and you're using it to take out the trash. I'm like, well, Benjamin, yeah, you, you could use it for that. I suppose it was not, in, it was intended to help you with your career, but if you want to take out the trash and I got really convicted about, am I using my gifts to kind of take out the trash? But, you know, after I watched what we'd done in a new beginning, I went, wow, that is some of the best work I've ever done. 
And it led to me getting more work. But when they brought me part six, I really was conflicted about, can I go, am I going to be a possessed killer wearing a hockey mask? And, you know, this franchise, everyone kept thinking, well, this will be the last one. But a new beginning indicates there may be more. And so what was interesting was I I said, I'm not going to do part six. I, I don't want to be, I don't want to play a possessed crazed killer, even though it's a great role. Um, and it's launched numerous careers, this franchise. And I said, no. And I said, no. And then they sent me the script and I opened it and I started reading it. And the first scene, there was a little girl praying and Jason's coming up to her to kill her. And then he turns away when she's praying. And I went, oh, maybe I can't. And the minute I said, oh, maybe I can do this, <laughs> I got this kind of pang from, was it the Sunday school parents? Was it God? Was it my conscience? I just felt like, no, I, I can't do this. I just, I said, I'd never do these. And here I am. So am I boring you yet? I'm talking. No, no, you. no, no. Okay. No good. <laughs> you stop me if I, so the bottom line was I decided at that point, I guess you can't be a person of faith and work in the entertainment industry because if you're an actor, you're always given somebody else's lines to say that you're not saying them. Somebody invented these and you don't know what kind of role you're going to get, whether you're going to be sleeping with somebody on a soap opera or, you know, you're in Natural Born Killers with Woody Harrelson. And I'm, I, I won't be able to say no because I want to be famous. I want to be rich. I want to be popular. I want to be liked. I'm not going to be able to say no. So I wasn't strong enough in my character that time to figure out that I could be a person of faith and use my gifts in a way to, you know do what they were designed to do. So I, I left the business. I quit. Told my agents, I'm, I'm going to seminary. And I moved out of my sweet crib in Malibu <laughs> to a little guest house in North Hollywood. And I started going to seminary where they made you sign a letter saying you wouldn't go to R-rated films. And I'm in one across the street at the drive-in that nobody knows, but <laughs> it was pretty darn funny. So um, the weirdest thing happened. I was dating a girl. We would meet Sundays at church and a guy, no kidding, an actor comes up to me at church on Sunday. He goes, you're an actor, right? I said, no, I used to be. I did a movie and I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm going to seminary. He goes, no, no, no. I've seen you and stuff. You'd be, I just read for a movie. You'd be perfect for it. Bet you get it. Bet you get it. You should call Worldwide Pictures on Monday. I'm like, never heard of them. So out of the blue and on a whim, I just called this Worldwide Pictures and it turned out to be the other kind of movie I said I would never do, which was a lame, cheesy Christian movie. And I thought, oh my gosh, how does, you want to make God laugh? Tell him your plans. I will never, I will always. And, you know, boom, I get cast as the lead role in a Christian film. But I'm going to Amsterdam. They're going to fly my girlfriend over. I'm going to meet Dr. Billy Graham, this famous world famous preacher at the time. And it's a fantastic role about a kid who is over in Holland looking for his dad because he's a bastard and he's illegitimate and he's trying to find his father and uh, he prostitutes himself and he gets into drugs. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is my journey in Hollywood. So it was really kind of ironic and it was a great journey, but that's why I ended up turning down part six. If I had not turned down part six, I never would have got this other movie or had to move to North Hollywood or met this actor or done this film or traveled to Holland or get that girl became my wife. We got engaged in Holland. So it's just interesting how life takes its twists and turns. But I look at Friday as a very important milestone in my journey, both artistically uh, creatively and spiritually. It has had a huge influence and impact. And it gave me a platform to go and speak to other 
junior high groups and youth groups all over the country, in fact, the world, talking about my uh, my experiences, which has been fun, you know? So it goes to show no matter what you do, if you do it well with all your heart, you can do it in a way that I think brings, like Dick Warlock did on the set, light, even in the midst of what might be perceived as darkness to the Sunday school teachers of the world. So there you go. Well said. <laughs> it's a long story and there's a lot more to it, but I won't bore you. That was it. But it's like I said, Friday had a huge impact on me. And the fact that it was called A New Beginning was like a little God wink at me because <laughs> it totally changed my life. You know, I ended up falling into producing then because of that. Um, I did that movie for Worldwide Pictures and they said, we're not doing any more movies because they're too expensive. I said, well, how much did you spend on mine? They said, almost $3 million. I said, wow, that's more than Friday the 13th. I said, well, why else aren't you doing? Well, we don't know any people in Hollywood that are people of faith that want to do film that, you know, is uplifting, inspirational. I said, well, I do. I know tons of guys that are unemployed looking for work like myself. They said, well, how much would you charge us to do a movie? I said, I, uh, I don't know, about a million dollars, I would think. They said, all right, well, we'll give you a million dollars. What can you do with it? And I about fell out of my chair. So me and my buddies, including Mike Hitchcock and Eric Gilliland, who was writing for a show called Roseanne at the time, and Dermot Mulroney, who's been in all kinds of big films, and all my friends from Northwestern, my Chicago boys, the guys I told I'd never do these movies, <laughs> they all came to work with me. And we'd, we'd go to film camp every summer and make a movie. And the writers got to direct, and producers got to write, and actors got to do craft service, whatever. So I ended up doing two, four, eight, 15 films for that company. And I had no, I had no idea how to produce, but I just knew people that did. And a lot of this business is relationship and getting to know people and their gifts. And I found out that's what a producer does. He doesn't have to know anything. He just has to know everybody and get out of their way. So I hired all my friends to make me look good. And now we ended up launching a film company called Empower. And we've done some really cool films. In fact, if you haven't seen The Stoning of Soraya M and you enjoy horror films, that's a true story based on a woman who was stoned to death in Iran. And it is brutal. It is honest. It is uplifting. It's hard to watch, but it changes the world because we were trying to end the practice of stoning in the Middle East, which unfortunately still happens in some places. So um, we won all kinds of awards for that. But I credit again, it's, Friday the 13th has been a huge part of my journey and i don't disrespect or discount the influence it's had in my life and and uh in my career that's awesome i mean i'm not um i'm not spiritual but um i do believe there is a god and he does work he does do miracles i mean i've seen it happen i'm not a church person i don't go to church but hey i do believe that there is a higher power and stuff happens so it's you know, like, and, and you look at the Friday, they're, they're kind of morality plays in that way. And, you know, evil gets punished. You know, you you smoke dope and eat an enchilada. You die. <laughs> you're going to you have sex with a girl. You're going to die. I mean, it's a re it's a really interesting sort of um, what do they say? Um, basically, you know, sin has consequence. Right. And I'm not I wasn't a big I don't want you to think I'm a super religious dude. I'm religious is a kind of a man-made thing. That's the Sunday school teacher. I was an actor, an artist. I was connecting with God in a relationship sort of way, like in my art. Because I think that art can be a spiritual experience. I think a great sunset people can look at and, go, and glorify a higher power and go, oh my gosh, 
this this is not an accident. And just looking at my life and the 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 path I've chosen and the different things that have happened to me and that pilot I told you about, you know, I came out to do in LA where I thought I was going to be famous. Guaranteed success, ABC, 20th Century Fox. The director has done all these great TV pilots. And it's based on a best-selling book. I'm sure I'm going to, they never even aired it. And I was devastated. Of course, all my buddies back in Chicago were laughing at me. Thought you're going to be a big star, Shepard, what happened? <laughs> a few years later, they made that pilot, which was called Phantom of the Open Hearth. They made it into a movie. They cast me uh, in the original, and then they went, a few years younger, about 10 years younger, and they cast a kid named Peter, Peter Billingsley in what became a movie called A Christmas Story. So, you know, a lot of this is luck, a lot of it is timing, but if you're a believer in a higher power, to me, it's like everything happens for a reason, no accidents. And I was so close, but not quite there, but that led to me moving to LA, and LA led to Friday the 13th, which led to the Worldwide Pictures deal, which led to me marrying who, I mean, it's, I look now and I, I do see a pattern. So it makes me think if there's if there's organization to the universe, there must be an organizer. It, it's not random. Everything isn't, yeah. you know? So anyway, even the fact that you got a hold of me is kind of a miracle because people don't know how to find me. I don't know how you did, but good well, job. I, I created an IMD Pro account. So <laughs> I got... <laughs> oh, my, my, oh, okay. There you so, go. So yeah, a, a friend of mine who he's also a digital creator, he says, he told me if you want to get actors on the show, create an IMD Pro account. I was like, okay, that way you can get a hold of their publicists, you can get a hold of their managers, and I've gotten some excellent actors on my show, including you. So, well I, done. Have you seen the movie Megan yet? With no. the female robot? No. Well, I got Amy Donald, the girl who played Amy. I got her on my podcast. How fantastic! It, it, well, it, kudos it just, to you. It, it just came out this month too, so I was yeah. very stoked when I got that. And when I called you directly, I, I didn't think it was you that was going to answer the phone. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't usually answer if it's an unknown number, but I do have a buddy in New Jersey. And I think when your number came up, I just kind of went, Morristown. Okay, well, maybe I know him. <laughs> but it's funny because if I hadn't answered or if you just left a message, I probably wouldn't respond. Because as you probably know, I don't do a whole lot of these. But I thought, well, with the convention, the end of... Uh, January uh, happened in Atlanta. Um, maybe this is something that they set up and I don't, you know, I want to, if I'm going to do something, I got to commit to it. And so uh, anyway, I'm glad you found me. I'm super glad too. So got a few minutes left. Is there anything, any big projects coming up that you'd like to tell the audience about something to look forward to? Yeah. Um, well, we've had a great run making some great stuff. I mean, some of our films are on United Airlines and, Prime, Amazon Prime. We just did a documentary called Emmanuel that was about the church shooting down in Charleston, South Carolina, that was brutal and interesting. I have one called The Dropbox you can find on YouTube. But um, I just got greenlit on a movie called Sarah's Oil, which I'm pretty excited about. We're going to shoot God Willing in Oklahoma. It's about the uh, first black millionaire. She was 11 years old and she had a dream that there was oil on the worthless land the government had given her to go away like they did with half breeds and those of Native American descent or, or Blacks. And she said, Daddy, don't sell my land. I think there's oil here. I had a dream there's oil here. God told me there's oil here. And this is a true story. She hit the biggest gusher in Oklahoma history. Everybody tried to take it from her, but Sarah's oil is what we shoot in June. 
I'm also working on the precursor, the origin story to It's a Wonderful Life. If you know that Christmas movie, I've got the true story of how it came to be, that Frank Capra film. Every once in a while, I get an interesting dark thriller that I'm, uh, I almost did a, a movie called Flesh and Blood with a director named Brian Ivey, who works for Stephen Curry's company, Unanimous. We did a little short, maybe I'll send it to you, Benjamin, you can put it up on the, the website or something. It's kind of cool. We just shot 10 minutes during the pandemic. I play a, a priest and uh, it, it's really, I thought very clever and cool. And we did it for donuts during the pandemic just to do something. But those are the things that I've got going on. And um, yeah, what? tell me about you. Do you, you have an artistic bent yourself? Are you a film producer? You've just always been fascinated with the genre or Friday or what's your, you, you I, like movies I, in general? I, I just love horror movies. So be, um, I don't have time to explain this because I got my tongue up top. So <laughs> <laughs> I short story, time. <laughs> short, short, long story short is my wife found, um, oh my God, it's something. So it's funny that you mentioned that because my wife um, found an article online um, saying that um, soldiers who experience PTSD and anxiety are drawn to horror. And so I, well, I took a psychology class in, in college mm. and I was like, it all makes sense now. So mm. it was fantastic. And I was like, oh, my God, she's so right. <laughs> wow. Well, I was um, didn't realize you served in the Army for a few years. Yes. Um, almost 15 years. Yes. Wow. Well, thank you for your service. And uh, man, uh, the fact that uh, you served our country and that you found a sort of way to channel and process some of those experiences. And part of it is expressing yourself through art or enjoying art that deals with this. That's kind of cool. So I, I told you, um, one of the films we got to work on with Shia LaBeouf was called Man Down. It was about a, a, a Marine coming back who has to process PTSD. And um, that was a great experience. It really intense. Gary Oldman's in the movie. I encourage you to take a look at it. It's uh, it's actually, I think Shia does a great job. A lot of people don't like him, I guess. So he got some negative reviews, but he's actually really, really good in the movie. And Gary Oldman's always fantastic. And Man Down is a very interesting, I'll be curious to get your take on it if you ever get a chance to look at it. I'll definitely take a look at it because I don't know. I've, I've for a while when I returned back from combat, I refused to watch war movies. So <laughs> I'm sure. Well, <laughs> so. I can imagine. I I did a, a TV show called Tour of Duty, and um, we got to basically reenact Vietnam, and uh, that's another one of my favorite, some of my best work. But again, I'm playing a soldier. You know, I did uh, Hunt for Red October. I played a Soviet foxtrot pilot, but I sat next to a real guy that knew how to fly a jet <laughs> knew how to and he was getting paid 40 bucks a day and i'm getting paid a thousand dollars a day because i'm an actor i don't know how to do anything he knows how to actually fly a plane there's something not right in the world when guys like you are serving our country sacrificing your life putting it all on the line and then actors are are you know i mean no no offense to saving private ryan and matt damon or <laughs> or the hurt locker but um you know we're pretending uh, you're the real deal. So thank you for your service. I appreciate that. All right. So that's all I have. Thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. Thank you. And um, ladies and gentlemen, the awesome, the magnificent John Shepard. Thank you so much. And keep kicking ass out there. Um, and I wish you the best of your career. And I hope thank you. things get much, much better for you. And right. I, I'm, I'm tracking you on IMDb. So everything you do. I, I see <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of things that I don't do you'll see because 
that's the World Wide Web for you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Have Thanks, a Benjamin. Great Good evening. luck with your life. And appreciate your time. Thanks, Thanks. everybody. All right.